0: trusting in God. You see, trusting changes everything. I'll say that again. Trusting changes everything. It'll change everything in your relationships. It'll change everything in your life when you just learn to trust. In 1992, there was a Disney film that was released, and it's my favorite by far of the animated Disney films. And the film was Aladdin, and when it first came out, it was the highest grossing film of the time that year and and in, in the history of Disney at that point in time and uh, it's it's one of my favorite films if, if you've never seen it if you don't know much about it uh, the the gist of it the story is about uh, this young man named Aladdin he's very poor uh, he grows up on the streets he has no family he really doesn't have a lot of friends other than his one little pet monkey named Abu and uh, him and Abu they sort of have their little adventures as they're going through the streets of their city called Agrabah and and uh, in the story, Aladdin has a chance meeting with the princess of that city. Uh, her name is Jasmine. Jasmine disguises herself. She runs away from the palace, and she meets Aladdin in the streets. Of course, Aladdin really doesn't know who Jasmine is, so he's just being nice to her. He sees that she's very pretty, and, uh, and, and he helps her get out of a little crisis that she, she comes into, and, and they get to begin to know one another, and as, uh, as that happens, the next really scene in the movie, and were we able to import that video by any chance, uh, Manny? Um, did did, they put that, did the video get in? Yes, excellent. All right, before we, the first one is, uh, the, uh, that first video, as you, before you play it, um, I do want to set up the scene. We're going to have a little interactive service this morning, okay? But in this scene, um, the guards had been sent to find Aladdin. Aladdin doesn't know this. He's some sort of special chosen one for this cave of wonders. And, uh, and this really greedy guy by the name of Jafar is looking for Aladdin. He's the ticket to get into this cave that has all these riches. And he sends his guards after him. And uh, the princess who's with Aladdin thinks the guards are after her. And it's a, it's a really intense scene. And uh, so this is what happens when the, the guards find them. Let's see if they, if, can you put that uh, scene on? Uh, no, you can leave the lights on. It's fine. right, uh, let's go ahead and put that scene really quick. That's a long fall right there. But you'll find that as the guards come, they're confused about who's coming after who, and, and they're both trying to run away from the guards. Later in the movie, you find that Aladdin begins, of course, to fall in love with her, and, and uh, after this scene, uh, they tell her that Aladdin's dead. The guards take him away. She goes to try to get him freedom, and uh, they tell her, no, Aladdin already died. He had kidnapped the princess, and she goes throughout most of the movie thinking he's dead and trying to move on. Nivy middle of the movie, or a little bit past the middle of the movie, there's another scene, and now the roles are reversed. Now Aladdin is disguised, doesn't really want to tell her who he really is, uh, that he was that poor guy in the streets. Now he's uh, walking around like he's a prince, and and he's trying to go on a date with her, and he's he's trying to figure out a way to ask her out, and doesn't know exactly how to, so he takes his little magic carpet that he has, goes up to the balcony uh, where she has her room, and, and he's going to try to ask her out on a date. And, and I think we have that clip as well. Can you go ahead and play that clip? I want you to notice this scene as Aladdin does his best to ask her out. Oh, and it just gets better after that. If you haven't seen it, I'm telling you, you've got to watch this movie. It's a great movie. But do you notice that there's a phrase in both the scenes, in the beginning and in the second scene, there's one phrase that makes them know who the other one is. And the phrase that is said or stated, the question that is given is, do you trust me? The first time he says, do you trust me? they jump off this building and they're running away from guards. The second time he's asking her on a date and he says, do you trust me? And right then and there, she knows it's him. You know, the moment that she decides to trust a lad and everything changes. Their relationship changes. You know, the same is true in your Christian life. The moment that You hear the question from God, do you trust me? And you put your trust in God, everything changes. Your relationship with God changes. In fact, the Bible says we go from darkness unto his marvelous light. The Bible also states when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we go from death unto life. I mean, everything changes. But not only does it change in that moment of what we call salvation, Trust in Christ as our personal Savior. But all throughout the Christian life, there are moments when you have to trust God. You just have to trust Him. And when you begin to trust God on a daily basis with every decision in every area of your life, everything changes. So the question this morning that we want to answer is can I trust God? Or you can ask yourself personally this morning, do you trust Him? Do you you really trust God? Now I want you to notice that in Proverbs 3, where we're going to be studying this morning, man, there's some amazing truths in here about trusting God. And that's what we're going to study about this morning, these amazing principles of what it means to trust God. But before I give you those three principles, and they're awesome principles, you're going to love them. But before I give you those, I want to give you some observations that we have in the passage that we read together. I want you to notice, first of all, if you're taking notes there, the observation number one. That in this passage, if you'll notice, there are commands from God that are all-inclusive. These commands from God that are all-inclusive. Look in verse number one, for instance. He says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. He didn't say, keep some of my commandments. He didn't say, keep a few of my commandments. He said, keep my commandments. In other words, all of them. Keep my commandments. Look in verse number three. He says, let thy, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. He says, don't forget about truth and mercy in your life. It should be something that you wear in your life that you that you have as part of your life. You ought to walk as a person that has mercy towards others, as a person that walks in truth. Now, the picture there is is a uh, he says, bind them about your neck. It, it, it's, it's almost like wear them like a necklace, as you would a necklace that has some sort of meaning, some sort of, sort of special significance. He said, just like you wear a necklace so the others can see how it adorns you, he said, mercy and truth in your life should be something that adorns you. You'll notice that God, in verse number 3, and then verse number 5, and verse number 7, and verse number 9, he gives these commands, and these commands are all inclusive. He said, I want you to know this, this entails everything. Let me give you a second observation. Not only are the commands there all inclusive, but the commands precede a promise. The, the commands that are given here all come before a promise. You look at verse number 2, you look at verse number 4, 6, 8, and 10. They're all promises. But right before a promise is given, right? Right before, uh, for instance, right before he says, for length of days and long life, in verse number 2, in peace shall they add to thee. That's a promise. Before that promise, there's a command. Every promise is preceded by a command. Now, I want you to notice a third observation this morning. Not only are these commands all inclusive, all right? right, they're, they're, to, they're to be obeyed completely, every single thing. Not only do these commands precede a promise, but I want you to notice a third observation as this the promises are conditional. The promises are conditional. Now, listen, not every promise in the Bible is conditional, there are some unconditional promises. For instance, the Bible says in Romans ten thirteen, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That's an unconditional promise. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy it. You, the Bible just says if you trust in the Lord as your Savior, if you ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior, if you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. That's an unconditional promise. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the, God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. That's an unconditional promise. God will never leave you abandoned. He'll never leave you by yourself. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what decisions that you made that perhaps were not the best decisions, God is still there. Those were unconditional promises. But you know, there are other promises in the Bible like the ones here in Proverbs 3, and they're Conditional. In other words, you've got to do something to receive that promise. Notice that every promise in verse number 2, verse number 4, 6, 8, and 10, they're all conditional. If you want length of days, if you want peace in your life, then you've got to do what verse 1 says. Forget not my law. By keeping it in your heart, keeping His commandments. If you want to have favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man, then you've got to wear mercy and truth like a necklace in your life. You've got to write them on the table of your heart. In other words, keep them in your mind. Something that is, uh, you, something you think about and meditate on. If you want God to direct you, then you've got to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You see, all of these are conditional promises. I love God's Word because there are certain things that really can help you understand the, the world in which you live. Sometimes you can look at a person's life And you can know that the promises that they're missing are promises that are conditional usually. Most people aren't missing a God that loves them because God loves the whole world that He gave Himself for it. Uh, People are not missing those kinds of things, but sometimes you'll find that there's prosperity that is missing in, in someone's life. And I'm not talking about just financial prosperity. Sometimes you can have less than zero in your bank account, and still be greatly blessed by God. God's blessings aren't always financial blessings. So I'm not talking about when I say uh, somebody is missing, sometimes they're missing the blessings of God, the promises of God. It's not always the fact that they don't have finances. But many of them don't have peace. Many of them don't have joy. And you can come down to this reality. The reason there's no joy or peace in their life because that promise of peace and joy comes conditionally. You can only find peace when you're obeying the commands of God in your life. You only find joy in the Christian life when you're trusting Him. And notice that Solomon here, the author of the book of Proverbs, he put trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You can't just trust Him partly. You can't just have some doubt and some trust. He says, if you're going to have some of these conditional promises, you're going to have to trust God with all of your heart. These are very interesting observations. Observations that we really need to understand this morning. Now you might be saying, well, Pastor, what does that have to do with giving? That's how you said we we're going to talk about giving this morning, and we are. So let me give you three thoughts about giving that we learn from these passages. Number one, there are new notes, some stewardship statements. Number one, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. You can trust him. You know it's it's funny, but when you're working with somebody and it's a high risk job, the first thing you want to do, maybe that first day, like if you're working on roofs and, and you're repairing roofs and most times houses, the roofs on houses are pretty tall and you don't want to fall. Usually in that first week of of working with somebody, you you want to know how much you can trust them. Uh, You don't want somebody that's going to really do their work so fast that they're not really being careful. Someone that might cost you either your life or maybe a broken bone. And so that first week, you're probably asking them a lot of questions. So what have you done? How long have you been doing this for? You know, uh, how, how good are you at doing these roofs? And has anything ever happened to you? What have you learned in this time? And, and you're, you're asking all these questions because you want to know, can I trust this person? Same thing if you're going in business with somebody. You want to know, can I trust them with the, uh, with the money that we're going to be making on this? How, how much can I trust them? You, you do that in marriage. Throughout your time of, of dating, you want to know, man, can I trust this girl? Or, or she's wondering, can I trust this guy? Trust is so important. And when someone lies to you, man, isn't that hard? It's hard to go back and trust someone after they've lied to you, isn't it? It's hard to say, forget about it, don't worry, I still trust you. It's really hard. And even sometimes when we say that, we don't really honestly sometimes mean it. We're just sort of kind of like, okay, we've got to get past this. But you know what's easy to trust someone? It's easy to trust someone that's never lied to you. It's easy to trust someone that's honest in their work or that does a good job and is very thorough in their work. Now I want you to think about this. The Bible says that God cannot lie. Now we've looked at this passage and it says there's promises. Promises of peace. Promises of God directing your path. Promises of God blessing you. That's coming from someone who's never lied. So, say, what, what, what can I conclude from that? That God is trustworthy. Number two, God has entrusted us. That word entrusted means God, God is giving you something like talent and time, possessions, money. He's giving it to you so you can do something for Him with it. That's what I mean by entrusted. God has given some of us, and by the way, it's not all even. There are some people in here that are more talented than others. There are some in here that have bigger bank accounts than others. There are others in here that have more possessions than others. It's not always all even, but God has entrusted whatever he's given you to do something for him with it. So in other words, God gave you a car, but he didn't give you a car just simply so you could have a cool thing to ride in. But he gave it to you for a greater purpose. And that is for him. The question becomes, am I really doing what God wants me to do with what he's given me? Like, how am I using this car? How am I using my home? How am I using that bank account? Listen, understand this. Job said this, and it's in the Bible. He says, naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going to leave it. All that we have to our very clothing is from God and he entrusted us with it he's given it to you for a purpose what are you gonna do with it so find we find that God is trustworthy we find that God has entrusted us and then I want you to notice number three we are trustees of everything God has given everything you can even underline that in your notes if you want. We are, we, we are trustees of everything that God has given. You say, why, why are you emphasizing everything? Because we're really good at compartmentalizing stuff in our life, aren't we? It's like, sometimes as Christians we have this attitude, or even just as people. Like, I gave you my money, that's enough. But we don't want to give everything else. Sometimes we don't want to give our time. We're more willing to give money than time. Uh, sometimes we we want to limit God and what we want to give Him. Sometimes there's a relationship in our life, and God says, I want you to give me that relationship. Now, uh, we talk about this in, in our youth group when we're talking about dating, and sometimes it's hard to do that. It's hard to say, God, if this relationship is not one that you would have me to have, God, i got to break up. And it's hard to do that. And that's what I mean. God has made you and me a trustee of everything in our life. Everything. It's important. How we we spend what God has given us and how we use what God has given us is important. Now, after the observations and after seeing these three stewardship statements, I want to show you through Scripture why you can trust God. Let me just give you two simple reasons. Number one, there in your notes, why you can trust God. Number one, because God's care is constant. God's care is constant. Lamentations 3, 4, he says, by his mercies. His mercies are new every morning. By his mercies, we are not consumed. In other words, God's grace in our life has protected us. God's grace in our life has provided for us. And God's care is constant. God didn't just provide food for you just last week and, and He's not giving you nothing to eat in the last six days. Seeing the faces that are looking at me this morning, I know you, you, you've eaten something. You say, well, I haven't eaten this morning. Maybe you didn't eat this morning, but you ate something last night and yesterday. I can guarantee you. You've eaten something in the last five days at least, the last seven days. God has provided something there for you and you know what you can what you can learn from that is God's care is always constant let me say this kind of drive this point home there are some here this morning that haven't read your Bible in three days and yet you still have food on your table that's God's care being constant I think some of us would starve to death if God said, well, I'll feed you as long as you read my word. As long as you pray for more than 10 minutes a day, I'll give you some food. We'd have a lot more people praying if that were the case. But that's not how God works. You'll find that God cares for you and me, and it's always constant. It's not really based on my your work, it's just that God's care is constant. You can trust somebody that's constant, that's faithful. Then I want you to notice this. Just secondly, God's gifts are generous. God's gifts are generous. I think it's in Psalm chapter 136. I don't know if it's uh, there in your notes. Psalm chapter 136. I love what it says. I'll just read a few verses. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. And you'll go through that whole psalm and you'll find everything that says about God is as for his mercy endureth forever. And he talks in that psalm about the generous gifts he's received from God. The creation, life itself, the provisions, everything that he's experienced in his life, he says, because God is merciful, God is good. Man, his mercy endureth forever. So why can I trust God? You can trust him because you'll find that his care for you is constant. It's there every day. He's faithful. You can trust him because his gifts are generous to us. So generous, in fact, that every one of us in here has not had to eat the same meal for seven days. We've already had a little bit of variety. You might have had a burger one day, pizza another day, rice another day, chicken another day. Man, God is so good, He's given us a lot of tasty food, different food, a variety of food, fruits and vegetables. Eh, vegetables, well, maybe not vegetables, but fruits. But God has been so good to you and me because His gifts are generous. Now, what are the three amazing principles that we find here about trusting God? Let me tell you, God's trustworthy. His care for you and me is constant. His gifts are generous. So what are the three principles in trusting God? Number one, trust God in adversity. Trust God in adversity. You know, There in your notes, we are responsible to trust him in times of adversity. Notice that word, we are responsible. That's our responsibility. Our duty is to trust him in times of adversity. This is a decision that you have to make individually. Each and every one of us are going to go through adversity in our life. There's going to be times where it's just really difficult. It's really going to be hard in life. And sometimes it's not even our fault. It's just things happen. Sometimes it's not being negligent, like, oh, we never changed the oil. Sometimes you can change the oil in your car every time it needs to be changed and find that your car breaks down. (laughs) Sometimes you can do things all the way right like you ought to, and things still don't come out right. That's called adversity. And in those times of adversity, let me tell you, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility as Christians, to trust God. That's what Job did. If you remember the story of Job, Job lost everything. He lost all his children. He lost all his possessions. He lost his health. But in the midst of all that adversity in his life, he says this, Though he, that is God, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job learned this, he said, even if everything doesn't go right in my life, I can still trust him. Why? Because he's trustworthy. He said, because his care for me has been constant, and his gifts for me have been generous. God is good. I can trust him in adversity. Now notice we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enable us to do so. Trusting in God is not a natural reaction in times of adversity. It's not something that we naturally want to do, but if we're to really trust God in times that are difficult in our life, then we must rely on the filling of the Holy Spirit, the control of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, he said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You say, Pastor, how do I trust God in a difficult time? Ask Him to help you. You need the Holy Spirit to do it. Let me tell you, you won't do it on your own. I guarantee you, your natural reaction, because it's our human tendency, it's our fallen nature, is to walk away from God. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone every man to his own way. Everyone wants to do their own thing. And when things get rough, that's really when we want to do our own thing. We say, you see, God's way didn't work. You see, their way didn't work. You see, I I obeyed my parents, and look what following their advice led me to do. And we get in these times of adversity, and we don't want to trust God. But let me tell you something. That's the best time to trust God. That's the most important time to trust God in times of adversity. And it's a decision that you have to make. Then secondly, I want you to notice that we need to trust God in plenty. Not only in times of difficulty and adversity, but trust God in time of plenty. And I say there's, there's going to be times in your life where God's going to give you a whole lot. He'll give you a raise at work or He'll give you a special bonus you didn't even know about. And God will just give you plenty. Now write this as very important down in your notes. The extent to which we uh, genuinely thank God for the blessings He provides is an indicator of our trust in Him. You see, the tendency for all of us is to be self-reliant. We're in that kind of world, especially here in America, right? We kind of try to determine somebody's character by, hey, I did it myself. I've shared this before, but our, our younger son... Uh, Jordan, he's very much like that. I don't know how many of y'all have kids like that. But man, you know, if he wants to put the shoe on, if you try to help him, he's like, no, I want to put it on. Trying to put shirts on, his clothes on. no, oh, I want to do it. Yesterday we were eating waffles at uh, like three o'clock in the afternoon. We got real hungry and I don't know how to cook. So I just told the boys, oh, we'll make some waffles. So we made some waffles, right? And uh, And for Elijah, my older one, I could tell he was struggling with the food. So I, I get my fork and knife and I start cutting it for him. And he was all happy. I cut the, the waffles for him and, and he began to eat them. And so, of course, trying to be a help also to Jordan, I, I take his plate and I just cut one little piece. You would have thought I ate his whole waffle. I mean, he started crying and, No, no, I don't want to cut it. I don't want to cut it. And he, he wanted to eat it like, like, like toast with jelly. Okay, That's the way he was eating that waffle. And he was so mad that I cut it for him. Of course, after getting a little bit of syrup on him and on his clothes, about five minutes later, he's like, Daddy, can you cut it? <laughs> I was like ah, I knew you'd come around. But you know, it's our human tendency just to be self-reliant like that. You know, you can get into your Christian life and be that way as well. God begins to bless you with more than you've ever had in your life. And the tendency is to say, look how much of a good worker I am. Look where my brains have brought me. Look where my talent has gotten me. And we get our eyes off of trusting God. Let me say, you ought to trust God with plenty. Paul was a man that knew what it meant to have nothing in his life. And Paul was a man at times in his life where he had everything. And here's what he says. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul said, we got to be thankful for everything. Don't be worried about what you got and what you don't got. But in those times when you've got, and you've got a lot, trust God. Trust God in times of plenty. And then thirdly this morning, the third principle, trust God as your source. Trust God as your source. You know, our tendency as humans is to trust God's instruments of provision. God provides in many different ways. Sometimes it's an unexpected gift that we'll receive. He'll give us money. Maybe a, a family member will give you some money or, or you'll get a, a bonus at your job and you weren't expecting it. And, and some of those are provisions from God and they're just unexpected provisions. There are some provisions from God that are normal provisions, right? There, there's some normal ones that we get like for instance, a paycheck that you get, if you get paid weekly or bi-weekly or monthly, but you receive that paycheck, that's God's provision in what we would say a normal way. It wasn't unexpected. You worked hard and, and you got your paycheck. And, and you find that God sometimes provides in that manner. But can I say whether it's unexpected or whether it's by normal means, our tendency sometimes is to trust the instrument instead of God. God uses your job to provide more money for you and we start trusting, let me tell you, our job instead of God. God begins to provide a, a family member there that is a help to you or a church member and our trust goes instead of God to that church member. Pastor is there for you in a, in a difficult time and suddenly your trust is in pastor but not in God. It's our tendency, let me tell you, to have that in our life. Sometimes to trust God's instruments more than trusting God himself. There in Luke chapter 12, I won't read the whole passage, but I think it's in your notes. Jesus gave a parable about a guy that was just like that. God began to bless him with plenty and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I've got so much that my barns aren't big enough. I'm going to tear them down and I'm going to build bigger barns and put even more of my possessions in there and then I'm going to tell my soul, hey, be happy, drink and and eat and be merry. My soul's going to be satisfied. He began to trust in his barns and in his possessions and what he had more than in God himself. And God at the end says, thou fool. Today thy soul shall be required of thee. Listen, don't get into the habit in your life to trust the instruments that God uses instead of God himself. In other words, don't put all your trust in your talent. Don't put all your trust in your job or in your boss or in your pastor or in your church. Listen, your trust ought to be in God and God alone. So I want you to notice there our tendency is to trust the instrument but we must trust God himself we ought to desire and need him more in our life than anything else look at Proverbs 18 this is in your in your notes Proverbs 18 verse 10 and 11 because it's such an awesome verse it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous runneth into it and is safe so the picture that the author gives is first God and he says, the name of the Lord. In other words, and we, we studied this a few weeks ago when we, we studied the Lord's Prayer. We said the name is more than just what you're called by, but it reflects who you really are. Your true nature. And when we think about God's true nature, that, that God that loves us, the God has provided for us, the God that will protect us, the God that is there, the God of peace, the, the God of joy, that God is a strong tower. And those that run to God... Find safety. They run to his presence. They run to his protection. They run to him and you find safety. But notice what verse 11 says. Because many times verse 10 is one that we know very well. The Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and it's safe. And you say, yes, at these times I'm going and things are not going right. I need to run to God. And that is so true. But look at what happens for others. Verse 11 says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and has a high wall in his own conceit. Here's what the rich man says. He says, the rich man builds his own city because of his possessions. And he said, that's going to protect me. These walls are never going to come down. Listen, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. The one that says, I'm going to put all my eggs in this one basket and it's going to be all oh, this. This I'm going to have financial security and that's what's really going to give, bring me peace because it won't. Ask people what happened in October of 1929. Those walls came tumbling down. So many of that, that day I imagine had their stock market, their dreams, their, their nest egg there and they thought, man, I'm going to retire I'm going to live the high life and then the next day, just like that, it was gone. That's what he's saying in Proverbs 18, verse 11. The rich man, he builds his walls and it stops him from trusting in the name of the Lord. What's your wall today, by the way? What is it that's stopping you from trusting? Is it your job? Let me ask it this way. What's stopping you from giving God what you have? What what's stopping you from the time of the offering plate to give? What is the wall that is separating you from trusting God? Is it a relationship? What is it? It's so important this morning as we look at these three principles. I need to trust God in adversity. I need to trust God in plenty. And I need to trust God himself. So important if you're going to experience the joy that comes with giving, with trusting God. Let me tell you something. He's trustworthy. He really is. I heard a story of Hudson Taylor. He's a great missionary to China. And Hudson had this... uh, time this experience that he shared in his life of one time he was going home he he worked for a doctor before he was going to the mission field and this doctor was a really busy kind of doctor and back in those days they didn't really have the system of paychecks where you just can you know direct deposit into your account and so during this time he was working for this doctor the doctor told him hey uh, Hudson every time it comes to the end of the week you need to tell me so I can give you your pay because sometimes I get so busy I forget Well, Hudson Taylor knew he was going to the mission field. He was going to be going to China. He knew that there might be days where there wasn't going to be any checks in the mail. And he he decided to get himself prepared for that. He said, you know what? God, I'm not going to remind the doctor about when my paycheck is, is due. I'm just going to trust you to do it. He said one day, it was about two days past his paycheck day, and he didn't want to tell the doctor. He was just going to be trusting, and he was down to his last coin. And uh, as he was walking down the street, he ran into someone that knew him, an elderly man, and his wife was not doing well. And he said, Hudson, can you go to our house and pray for us? And Hudson said, "Um, yeah, I think I can do that. And he said he went to the house and he walked in and this couple had not eaten in uh, one whole day the day before. They had run out of their money. They had not had enough to buy the medicine that she needed. So Hudson walked in there and he began to to pray. And he said, as I began to pray, my conscience told me, you're going to pray to me and call me father, but you have a coin in your pocket that could help these people to get food and to get the medicine they need. He said halfway through the prayer that he was so convicted That he had to completely stop his prayer. And he reached into his pocket and he said, this is is all I have, but I feel like God wants me to give this to you. And he gave it to them and he finished his prayer. He said, I went home that night with nothing in my pocket. He said, but I was full. Man, I was complete. I was happy. I was joyful even though I had no more money. Didn't know I was going to make it through the next day. I had done what God had entrusted to me. And I trusted him with it. He said the next day he went to the post office and just checked his mail by chance. And that day in an envelope were four coins that he could use. He said, I was so shocked by that. But he was so thankful that he gave that one coin and trusted God that God would provide and that very next day, God gave him four times more. They say, oh, pastor, you're saying if we give to God, he's going to give us four times more than what we gave him? No. I'm saying you ought to trust God because he's trustworthy. And when you find that God is trustworthy in your life, let me tell you something, trust changes everything. Changes everything. This morning, the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? The choice is up to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and care for us. Father, thank you for this passage in Proverbs that reminds us the importance of trust in our life. Oh, Father, thank you for being a God that is trustworthy. You've blessed us so much. You've blessed us with so much. Oh, I pray that we wouldn't take what we have and use it on ourselves. Oh, that we wouldn't be selfish Oh, that, Father, we would be giving. Oh, that in times of adversity, we would learn to just say, God, I trust you. More than I think about what I could do with the portfolio, what I could do with this money, first, I'm going to trust God to give him what is his. Father, that's the heart we need and that's the heart we want this morning. Oh, I pray that you would help us grow in this area. May we be good stewards of what you've given to us. And may we learn to trust you every day more and more. Help us to practice these principles in our life. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. This morning, before we are dis.